0: All right, welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest this week is Amanda Garten, co-founder and CEO of Corellium. Corellium is the company you've probably heard about by now, this David and Goliath story about this small startup that went up against Apple and won. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Right off the top, I know the Apple lawsuit is still kind of mired in some non-disclosed and some, um, some things you can't talk about. Where is that? What can we update the audience on where the lawsuit is and where that whole legal thing is?
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here to bring the audience. And so up to speed, uh, they, they they may have heard that we that we won. Um, so we we actually um, there were there were two kind of core charges that Apple had brought against us. One was copyright infringement, and right. one was um, the DMCA. And we won on summary judgment on the copyright infringement piece. And then um, we we reached a, a settlement agreement with Apple on the DMCA piece. Um,
0: and that settlement agreement includes uh, some sort of clause that you can't talk about it. So we can't get into it. I mean, just yes, for the audience, because a lot of people are going to be like, why are you bringing Amanda on? and we don't ask her about this? So we just understand <laughs> Just legally, you can't talk about even... Uh, this settlement. But there's also a uh, there's also a, some legal restrictions around their appeal of the DMCA claim, which was earlier thrown out. And that's still a part of open litigation, right? Uh, the appeal of the copyright infringement right. piece.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's
0: also an open litigation. And that's also another reason you can't talk about it.
1: Yes. Thank you, unfortunately. But now that we have that
0: out of the way, it's fine. I mean, I, I just want the audience to understand that like, we can't just ignore it. So
1: thank you for clarifying. Yeah.
0: We'll start right at the top then. What is Corellium? There's a public perception around it being this iOS vulnerability research tool that's a thorn in Apple's side. And <laughs> to, a lot of, to a lot of folks who actually use the product and a lot of uh, peers that I've talked to, it's, it's a lot more than that. So I'll give you a chance to explain what exactly is Corellium.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess in a nutshell, Corellium is an ARM-based virtualization platform for device models. So obviously we do iOS models, but we also do a lot more than that. We do Android and we do IoT and, and really we can do anything that's based on ARM. And, Define and, device models. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of a tough concept. So you, if you think about um, you know, mobile devices or IoT devices, you have this physical hardware, this physical device. And so what we do with our platform is create uh, a, a virtual model of it. So it it runs on a... Server in the cloud, or or in a you know in a data center, and um, we sort of very faithfully uh, in software uh, model the the peripherals and the core, um, so it it sort of runs like the physical device would.
0: And the use cases for that beyond just security is there's there's a lot of testing, and and I can imagine like all these IoT devices, your smart fridge <laughs> and smart lights and so on running ARM. There's there's all kinds of developer testing that's beyond security use cases, correct?
1: Absolutely. It, 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 exactly right. You know, it, really anything in the software development lifecycle that you would normally be using a physical device for, our goal is to make that simpler and faster and more efficient with virtual models. Um, so, so by enabling folks to use that virtual hardware, um, it, you know, anything from creating prototypes to testing applications to malware analysis, uh, you know, a journalist, you know, you can, you can use the virtual hardware to um, send signal messages. I mean, there's a whole host of applications beyond security. And, and I, I mean, we're really just getting started unpacking them.
0: You guys just announced a $25 million Series A funding, your first uh, funding round to date led by Paladin Capital, I believe, participation from Cisco Investments. Why raise money now?
1: In a nutshell, because we're having trouble keeping up with demand. Um, just, we just, just for growth? Yeah, we have so many um, amazing partnership opportunities and, and so many customers knocking down our doors. We just weren't able to keep up. And, you know, we we'd bootstrapped for the first...
0: Four years. Um, yeah, this is a company that's been around since what, 2017, 18.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, we we kind of we we took the latter half of 2017 to build out the product, and then started selling in 2018. It, and we were kind of cash flow positive from the beginning. We had um, great revenue, and we were a small team. Um, I think we we started with six or so, and we had around ten for most of those right. years. But yeah, even during people... those
0: bootstrapping years, I've heard <laughs> stories of I've heard stories of you guys actually working on Apple bug bounty programs to raise funding, and even being very open about like we're going to yeah. use this funding from this bug bounty program to like. Work on this virtualization product. I mean, it's You're not. You're right.
1: That- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, 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 that's how we bootstrapped the, the company to start with when we first founded it. We, we, we were very direct. Like, you know, we, we went to Apple and we said, Hey, we're, we're raising money to start this, you know, virtualization platform. And they were like, That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, here's, here's bug money for you. Right. Um, so it was, you know, it was, it was a cool way to get things started off. The more we, we, we grew, you know, we just found that we were, we, we, we needed more people and we couldn't keep up. So that's that was the impetus for raising.
0: And this is not your first wrong with entrepreneurship. You guys um, had already had an exit, prior exit, with a company called Virtual that was sold to Citrix. I think it was a $5 million deal. That was also bootstrapped, or you did you take funding for that one as well?
1: That one was also bootstrapped. We actually, um, I mean, the company was only around for six months, uh, so it was it was a fast sale. Um, it was kind of a predecessor to Corellium. It was a virtualization company, ARM-based virtualization, more specifically focused on Apple uh, virtualization. And we, we'd actually looked at selling the that company to Apple, and then Citrix kind of came out of out of the blue and and offered, you know. A little better deal, and um, we were we were really thrilled to go to Citrix. you know it was it was a really great experience. Um, we, we met Mark Templeton, who was the, the CEO at the time and he's become a really good friend and mentor and he's actually now uh, joining our board.
0: Ah fantastic. Can we d- dig a little bit deeper into the fundraising process? because I mean cybersecurity now it just feels like if you breathe and you sneeze and you, you use a couple <laughs> of words, you'll get funding. But at the same time, at the same time there's, um, there's a downside to taking venture capital funding. Not not just the equity thing, but just a lot of demands on where growth should be and growth mode and you have to grow by a certain time and your your priorities get shifted. Can you talk a little bit about like what went into your own thinking internally about raising a big funding round to avoid that? I don't want to. Uh, the negativity that comes with the venture capital. Well. Yeah,
1: no, that's an absolutely fantastic question, and I think it's something every founder should consider very carefully before taking on funding. We were really fortunate to find a solid partnership with Paladin. Honestly, we weren't really interested in taking funding when we first, you know, started the year, and um, Paladin approached us. You know, we'd been approached by many venture capital firms before, and we, we politely declined. But Paladin really shared our vision and really understood what we were trying to do. And I think we we just felt like they were going to be the right um, the right fit for us to be able to execute on what it was that we were trying to do, versus holding us back or holding us to growth metrics that we weren't prepared to meet.
0: How do you identify that right fit, though? I mean, you talk to a bunch of VCs and help another founder like you who is dealing with this right now, because it's it's a it's a common thing. Is trying to find out who's the right investor to go to. Who's the investor that's going to provide the kind of mentorship, provide the kind of networking, provide the kind of introductions, and still kind of stay out of the way versus maybe, maybe I need an investor to kind of be in the way and pushing us because they've had this experience. Can you talk a little bit about what goes into a founder's psyche when you're trying to filter through who's going to be good for us and who's not going to be good for us? What are, what are some tells?
1: That is such a great question. I feel like if we could really nail that, we, you know, we should, we should start our own, you know, consulting firm or something. Um,
0: yeah, but you can help unpack some <laughs> yes. red not not necessarily red flags, but some, let's call it yeah, like white tells. flags, the good things yeah. that you can.
1: For me, I would say there's this ineffable, ineffable quality where, you feel a uh, simpatico, you just feel this this um, a vibe. rhythm with someone. Yeah, yeah, you get a vibe, exactly. Um, and I think there, there are a couple of things that um, that stood out to to me when we were chatting with Paladin. One was to the point that you just mentioned, they were able to bring an exp- expertise around certain areas that we knew we would have to confront and we didn't feel we had expertise in. So we felt they were complementary in that way. And they were also, they they matched our kind of, um, I want to say, team culture uh, in terms of what we valued and what we uh, were prioritizing. And I think also, um, I think that when when uh, uh, an investor is right for you, they believe in you almost more than you believe in yourself. Um, so they are always kind of in your corner and they're advocating for you. And that that is
0: but such a I feel like yeah. when they're whining and dining you, that's what they're that, that's what they're meant to portray, right? Like, how do you how do you know that that vibe is right and it's not? I I know it's a weird question. I've spoken to a bunch of founders who, with a year of hindsight, wished they had continued to bootstrap, or with a year of hindsight, wished they had gone in another direction. And there's a lot of it seems to me there's a lot of regret around not necessarily terms and money but a lot of culture fits more along the lines of culture fit and a lot of VCs demanding of growth and demanding of growth metrics that are different from like what real building a company metrics are. Right. And, and, and those things lead to a lot of what is wrong with security today. And I'm just curious, just pick your brain and how you, how you decide.
1: No, I think, I think you've nailed it in a way. Like I think what, what we did is had uh, extensive conversations about what, what those metrics should be and what they should look like, and whether we were aligned. So we just had brain dumping sessions, um, and, and we spent you know many many hours in a room together um, discussing what we thought was realistic, what our goals were, and I think when you spend enough time with folks and and you kind of get a feel for their personalities and you get a feel for what their expectations are that's um the, the, you know it's 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 a very different process to your point than the the kind of whining and dining side of things where they're just trying to build you up um, i right, think right. you you really have to have the nuanced detailed conversations the business planning conversations and and you know we had we had many of those going into it before we committed to you know an investment and i think yeah that that's uh, that's uh, irreplaceable, I think, in terms of deciding who, you, who you're a good fit
0: with. You have an interesting background, fascinating <laughs> background. You are not necessarily uh, an old school. Your husband is, uh, who's very much involved <laughs> with the company. He's from the old jailbreaking community. But your yeah. your path here is a lot different. You studied something completely different in college. How did you get onto this? Or, or talk a little bit about your path into this entrepreneurship one and into this Crap show of an industry we have.
1: (laughs) Oh, I don't know if it's all that bad. Um. It
0: is, believe me. (laughs) I'm just joking.
1: Uh, (laughs) I yeah. So i i studied uh, I studied classics in college. I think from the outside that seems like a weird path to security or to even um, technology, but it's. it's such a generalist field you know it, it, it the thing about classics is it teaches you to think analytically and it and it exposes you to a lot of different subjects um you know politics economics linguistics uh, archaeology you know just this whole broad range um and so it's not really about the the language itself it's just about kind of learning how to think and learning how to learn and I'd, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I did not really know what I wanted to be an entrepreneur in. I just knew I I, I wanted to found a company and. and were do you something one of those important. child
0: entrepreneurs who was always dabbling in some <laughs> oh sort God, of small yes. business? Not yes. necessarily Girl Scout stuff, but you were always dabbling <laughs> with trying to create some sort of business.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. My 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 parents. Um, both both of my parents are entrepreneurs themselves. Um, my. My dad, uh, my dad is a heart surgeon by day, and he is a clean energy entrepreneur by all other hours of the day. And my mom um, runs her own uh, horse barn. She gives riding lessons and, and trains horses. And she bought a piece of property when we were little, and she kind of, you know, built the barn from scratch. And um, I, I was just always really inspired by them. Um, it it was it was something that I I didn't really think about when I was little, uh, but in hindsight, I, I recognized that I, I, I took a lot of inspiration from both of them. And I think when when I, you know, kind of graduated college and was thinking about what I wanted to do, I, I started, um, I was a writer for a little while and I was living in San Francisco. Why would anyone who
0: wanted that job? I
1: don't know. Um.
0: <laughs> I chose that and it was the worst decision ever.
1: In hindsight, yeah, at the time it seemed glamorous, but
0: no,
1: it's um, not. It's not. It's not, <laughs> um, and it doesn't pay very well. And when you live in San Francisco, that's that's, that's very true. It's tough. And nothing
0: um, pays very well when you live in San Francisco.
1: That is so true. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so I, I was in San Francisco and I, I, was, I was not making enough money and I thought it's time to do, time to try something else. And, and I, I wound up getting an offer from a mobile device management startup in Florida called OpenPeak. And, you know, it was new and interesting and it, it sounded like a challenge and they were paying a lot money. What year are we money. talking about here? Oh gosh! Post,
0: um, post release of the iPhone, I mean, we're we're into yeah, the yeah, yeah. we're post BlackBerry when MDM is now emerging as like a new category that exactly. all these businesses needed. Got it.
1: 2012 ish, okay. something like that. Um, yeah. So so I, I I I moved to Florida and and started started working on that, and and that's where I met Chris. Um, we both I think recognized while we were there that mobile. Companies in general had this huge problem of testing. Like, we, I very distinctly remember the company had this really rinky dink little device test lab in the basement. And, you know, QA was always on the hunt for a device that we didn't have, or a developer would need a device and it would be broken or bricked or whatever. It was just a nightmare. Um, and Chris and I, you know, we were the youngest people on the team and we kind of hung out a lot and, it was, and Chris was, is already
0: in the jailbreaking world.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and Chris had already built this really cool emulator. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was a it was a, a Kickstarter project that he uh, actually uh, he, abandoned he never it released with.
0: it though, right? It never got it never got published. It, yeah, I think He exactly. did raise the Kickstarter funding, but that never got published. But that was kind of like the earliest.
1: Yep, yep. That was a creation, kind of right? a predecessor. Yeah, yeah. The the inklings of it. Yeah. So. So we I I mean we kind of discussed how that would be beneficial like you know something like an IMU would benefit development and and testing and so we we wound up uh leaving uh, OpenPeak to found virtual and um you know I kind of did the business side and Chris did the tech side and we have we have one other uh co-founder Stan who is, uh, you know, a, a tech wizard. I mean, he's absolute mastermind and, and can build anything. Um, so, so he also um, co-founded Virtual with us. And um, yeah, and then the, the rest is history. Then we, we um, sold to Citrix and, and after Citrix, we, um, we, we kind of dabbled in a few different things. And then we were like, hey, you know, no one's really solved this problem still. Um, right, you know, right.
0: The- it was just kind of <laughs> still lingering there like that old yeah. sandwich, right? Exactly. <laughs>
1: Bingo,
0: bingo. Yep. Isn't it fascinating? It's fascinating to me that mobile security never quite became a category. There was, a, there was a few companies that got funded, and then it kind of went away. Lookout Security is doing more anti-malware type stuff. You never viewed this as a mobile security space. You, you keep mentioning virtualization, virtualization, but it, and even from open peak through virtual, right? There's yeah. A lot of it is not necessarily cell phones. When we think about mobile devices, we think about cell phones. But when you talk about IoT devices and and these ARM-powered right. things everywhere, right? Which Where do you see yourself fitting into one of these garden product (laughs) categories right and a little bit can you talk a little bit about like trying to do business when you're creating this category from scratch or you're not necessarily in the right bundle how does that affect like go to market sales and biz dev and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, it's super challenging. Um, You know, when we first started Corellium, we were very much focused on the iOS security space because it was our history. It was where we came from, it was where we had all the contacts. So from a biz dev and and marketing standpoint, um, it was a natural place for us to
0: to carve out a niche, and you guys um, had comics on stuff at one point, right?
1: Com- oh, co- uh, we had uh, comics. Uh, was on our, our our team at virtual,
0: virtual yes, at virtual, right? Right. Yes. Right. See, yes. No, I'm just crying. I'm going back to all those old iOS jailbreak yeah, yeah. guys. That was part of the whole Corell- Corellium ecosystem over the years.
1: Yeah, well, it, you know, it's it's a, it's kind of a fascinating hiring difficulty when, you know. When oh, you I'll get to that.
0: <laughs> I have that on my I have that on my oh, notes uh, as well to talk a little bit about bug <laughs> bounties and getting into hiring for people in this place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, to 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 answer your question on on the categorization front, it's. It's definitely I think you know I I see Corellium as as a as a virtualization company as kind of the next step in virtualization. You know if you think about virtualization it really tracks um a- alongside the the thread of of computing in general, you know, servers, desktops, laptops. And I think Corellium in 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 my mind represents the next evolution of virtualization. You know, you have the next evolution of computing, um, which is which is mobile, which is IoT. It's um, you know the the increasingly uh, miniaturization of computing devices, and while virtualization, you know, is it, it you know our virtualization isn't quite the same as as server virtualization or desktop virtualization, but it's, it's really the next step as, as computing itself evolves. Um, But to your point that, that really it's, it is a challenge to articulate, you know, what space we are in, what category we are in, because it's really a new thing. No one's doing it before. Does that affect Um,
0: pricing as well? Like how do you determine how to price it as well? You have no legacy thing to match it against. Like, I mean, you're, 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 kind of a CEO making a lot of this stuff up on the fly and trying <laughs> exactly. to figure out why. Isn't that
1: business it. in general is just making stuff up? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're you're absolutely right. And and pricing in particular is is a, a huge challenge. Um, particularly, you know, in in our case, our core technology Is so flexible. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about use cases. You can use it for anything from advanced security research to something as simple as you know running QA tests. And so you kind of have um, you have different sort of product lines or product um, you know uh, you know um, segments and and pricing around those. I think it it has to conform to what um, what. the market's expectation is today. Um, so, what what are they already using, and um, how to be competitive um, uh, against something like that, and, and be a better solution? Right. So, you know, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of um, apples and oranges um, comparisons. But you still, you 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 just you do the best you can. Yeah, you have
0: God. Yeah, you're trying to figure it out, and and in your space is. And I just want to go back to. Uh, Post Citrix, you guys determine that uh, this problem space still exists, like no one has addressed this yet right, And right. the difficulty there is like you know testing and developing these mobile devices are almost impossible, if not challenges in terms of like you know if you want to do testing you to ship all these physical things across the people and just your your platform I and mean, when we talk about virtualization here, just kind of mimics mimics a physical device in a virtualized environment, is there any kind of real-time component where I can see what's happening here on the physical device at the same time? And uh, talk a little bit about some of this testing and development that is not the security use cases or or, or maybe the profile of a customer that is using this in this way. Sure, sure.
1: Um, I think... You know, um, if you're say uh, a QA department and and you're you're running you know automation tests at scale, um, you know you might be using something like Appium. You know you, you know uh, there there are sort of um, the companies who have m- mobile applications say and they and they have to run these continuous uh, integration and development tests. And so um, you, can, you can plug those tests in to run on something like a Corellium virtual device rather than on a bank of uh, physical devices. Um, and, and, and one of the really kind of interesting things that I think our platform pushes to the next level is when you start to talk about IoT devices, you know, we can do um, a model of an IoT device like a router or you know a smart speaker, and a lot of those IoT devices have companion mobile apps. And so, when you need to run those kind of automated tests, um, typically when you when you have those IoT devices and, and their companion apps, ah. you you can't do that in an automated way because you have the physical hardware and then you have the physical right, mobile right, device. Right. But with Corellium, you can start to automate that. So I I think... Um, again, it's it's all about you know accelerating the development process, making things more agile, um, more efficient, and, and right,
0: right. so you're basically running this virtual version of that device alongside a mobile device, running a companion app and kind of automating. No,
1: that. oh uh, yeah, no, not even that. Running the virtual um, uh, virtual IoT device alongside the virtual mobile device, so you ah, have the, um, the I, everything is all in the virtual environment. There's no sort of there's no physical, um, no physical mobile device, no physical uh, IoT device anywhere. It's all just running, kind of in the cloud on servers,
0: and automating that testing between those two apps. Right? Exactly. All yep. Right, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, when you say model this device, what yes. do you mean?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's kind of a sophisticated engineering process. It's not trivial. Um, it, so we, we kind of. Um, it, it takes a lot of like reverse engineering to figure out um you know how how everything works and and our, our engineers kind of um essentially you know build in software a a virtual version of of the hardware um and, and kind of the core um strength of our platform is that our platform runs on ARM-based servers. Mm-hmm. So you have these ARM-based devices, right? Mobile devices, IoT devices, almost all of them use ARM chips. Um, so by virtue of running the models on these ARM-based servers, we're using the same underlying architecture. So it's, it's, really, it's true virtualization, it's not emulation where you're having to mm-hmm. you translate. And that gives you a lot more speed and it gives you a lot more fidelity. Um, so, so you can essentially, if you if you have a, a mobile app or, or an IoT firmware that you run um, on a physical device, you can run it in Corellium without changing anything. You don't have to recompile. You don't have to make adjustments in the code. Get a new build from development. Everything just works out of the box. So, um, and again, that's all. It's it's all kind of to the point of making things as simple as possible and most efficient for developers. Um, and and I think when when we're sort of um you know talking about um you know use cases um it's it's uh it, it to, to us it's really about the holistic software development lifecycle, which security is an intimate part of you know we we've seen this evolution i think in in devops to devsecops where security is becoming you know more integrated and in, earlier and earlier in the in the life cycle and um i think for for us, there are there are different ways of using the platform, but ultimately we envision you know cross um, in, uh, different teams all using the platform for different purposes, but using it um, in an integrated way uh, inside an organization from kind of the end to end life cycle.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's not. I, I mean, we we, we 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 talked a lot about the iOS um, the the iOS. Apple's kind of early beginnings of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, post Pegasus NSO Group, you guys released Corellium for Journalists. Mm-hmm. Corellium for mm-hmm. Journalists is a, a a free version of the tool that does what? And can you explain how journalists can use it to learn what?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so we... we we offer a free version of Corellium. It's really, it's the same platform that everyone else gets, um, but we wanted to make it available for free for journalists because we felt that we could offer journalists um, a, a couple of different uh, useful tools. So one is just to use the platform the way other security researchers do, um, you know, for organizations you know, who were investigating um, you know things like the Pegasus malware. Uh, our software can be very handy for for digging in and figuring out. You know, you know we have you know integrated tools where we uh, enable you to monitor network traffic or view system calls. Um, and, and we enable it in a way, especially on, um, on iOS devices, that you, you really can't achieve with physical hardware. The way that we'd envision someone using it is if they wanted to inspect you know, an unknown package and see if it is behaving in a malicious way, Um, So so for example, if a journalist maybe gets um, a malicious link and they don't want to open it on a real device, um, they could use a Corellium virtual device and use it as kind of a sandboxed environment. Or say they have a a program that they're pretty sure is malware, but they don't want to use a physical device to inspect it because then the device is is forever tainted. Um, So they could load it into a Corellium virtual device and use our tools to uh, evaluate how that program is doing what it's doing, where it's making calls to, whether it's behaving in a malicious way. Um, And then another way that we have envisioned um, journalists being able to use the platform is to use the virtual. Virtual devices as ephemeral devices with messaging apps like Signal. Um, so, so we've you know provided a, a, a little write up on how to load Signal as an app into the virtual device, and then to use it for communications. Um, And and again, this, this, uh, you know, it's not necessarily something that every journalist needs to use, but if you have a specific threat model where you're concerned about receiving malicious... Yeah, it's it's the
0: old Mossad or not Mossad. If (laughs) (laughs) Mossad is in your threat model, then you want to pay attention. If not Mossad, then it's probably not for you. Exactly. Which brings me to an interesting question though, right? Uh, Corellium is also a very powerful tool used for vulnerability research. I've seen bug bug bounty programs actually use it almost at scale. Um, I've seen vulnerability reports uh, crediting Corellium with a key part of a certain discovery. Mm -hmm. How do you keep it out of the hands of uh, not only bad guys, but you say bad guys, it's uh, malware, uh, financially motivated malware. But how do you avoid Corellium's name being kind of dragged into that murky world of these private sector offensive actors who are providing capabilities and tools to governments to do the kind of attacks that now you need Corellium for journalists to help ferret out right how do you avoid <laughs> how do you avoid falling into being a dual use piece of technology
1: yeah no I, I think um, you know it's something that's important to us and and it was even called out by the judge in uh, in his summary judgment ruling that we um, take care to vet our customers yeah, but um, NSO so-
0: Group says the same thing, right? I mean, they, they, they take care of bad customers, they leave it up to customers to determine what to do. And now they're in that murky world, they're sanctioned, right? I mean, how do you avoid outside? I mean, it's a tricky world. And I don't imagine there's a foolproof way of saying this customer will never use this maliciously or whatever. But I mean, it's, is that something that you're, it's at, at top of your mind as the, as the CEO of the company?
1: Very much so. Yeah, I think it's it's a topic that's that's very uh, it, it's important to me. It's something that I care a lot about. Um, it's something that we care about a lot as a company, and, and we um, discuss a lot internally. Um, I think you know we. I, I think there are there are different approaches to the idea of vetting, and um, I think you know different companies will have different ways of setting guidelines, um, you know, some companies will, for example, only sell to, say, uh, U.S. law enforcement companies or, um, and and other companies will, you know, sort of say, well, as long as um, they uh, are, are, you know, within a, a certain um
0: Geographic, geographic region exactly yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I think you know um, I think there are different ways of approaching it but I think you know for us it's 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 a we have a a, a, a series of, of standards um, that that we um, use as as guidelines um, not just geographic but things like use case and and things like you um, you know, we, we try to develop a rapport with all of the companies that we sell to so that we, you know, uh, intimately understand um, what what their intentions are. Um, and I think, you know, nobody's ever 100% perfect. So you also inevitably have to plan for what happens if someone uses it in a way that you don't approve of right? Um, or that breaks your terms of service. Um, so that's, that's... And you have obvious. an on-prem
0: and a cloud version, right?
1: Yes. Yes, we okay. do. Yep. Yep. And, um, it, yeah, and so I think, again, to, that, to to your point there, you also have to take into account, you know, the different um, approaches for, you know, what happens if someone breaks their terms of service in the cloud versus on-site. Right. Uh, and you have, you have different models for that. Um, it's, tricky, it's, tricky
0: world to have to consider now, though, right? I mean, with, with Nation State really type is. of activity and, and the kind of normalization of that as well. It's kind of a weird, weird place for security to be caught up and for vendors to be caught up.
1: It is. It is. I think you know. I. Th- it, it's something that I think companies really need to take very careful. It, 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 to consider very carefully these days. It's. It's something that as as security focused companies and and I, I. I think Corellium is. It. it, it even though we're not just a security company, we are in the security space. And I think any companies in that space have to very carefully consider the ethical impact uh, of, of their tools and and um, it, right. its potential use. Um, and there's like,
0: I mean, we talk about public perception because of the Apple thing, was that this is an offensive company. I know Mark Dowd gave you guys a shout out earlier. He's in that world. So it's kind of, you, you get pigeonholed into being this offensive security tool. But I imagine... Triaging, validating bugs, even as an as a defender. If you're a part of a, an MSRC or a big company, just getting bug bounty reports and f- trash thrown across the cubicle all the time, and you have to validate and triage these bugs, like, something like this. This kind of virtualization, this kind of simplicity, even democratizing bug bounty programs and getting physical devices not physical devices, but getting your testing things into the hands in people in India instead of shipping, you know, right. 50, a hundred <laughs> devices. there's a lot of defensive use cases there. I imagine you have customers doing this. I'm just guessing off the top of my head.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know we have we have um, many enterprise sort of fortune 500 type companies doing their own testing internally, security testing, red teaming, pen testing, that kind of thing. And we um, we recently partnered with BugCrowd um, to, to facilitate exactly the kind of bug bounty ah. type programs that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, it makes about. a
0: lot of sense. I mean, BugCrowd and these guys are the perfect, yeah, it's a no-brainer.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I really like the phrase that you used there too, the democratization of, um, of, of access. I think that it's a real
0: thing. I I worked at Intel, I mean, we would love to have people look at some hardware things, but it was just impossible to have, you know, you just can't ship these pieces of hardware everywhere. So you have your security response folks dreaming of having some sort of thing to democratize it. It's a, it's a loaded word, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, I do. Now you're no longer David up against Goliath, you're fully funded and well capitalized. What does success look like for Corellium? Like, where do you see, where do you see the company in a year, two years? I know you're focused heavily on ARM and and into this IoT space, which makes total, a lot of sense. What does success look like for you guys? I mean, obviously IPO, (laughs) one day, but talk, talk to me a little bit about your incremental, like growth mode goals.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. We um we have a a few different um growth goals for next year. I think we have uh a couple of different really great partnerships in the works that I unfortunately can't share too much about yet, but if those take off, I think there could be some really interesting things happening next year. Um and we also I think just uh we you know I can, to your point, want to really expand on the IoT side and also on the cloud side. Um, this was the first year that we really were able to use the cloud um, with Amazon's launch of the Graviton. Um, the ARM server market has been, I don't know if you follow it, but it has been a roller coaster. And um, getting getting the Gravitons at AWS finally was a, was a big game changer for us and being able to offer a, a cloud product for the first time. And we were, I think, Aiming to get the graviton three just came out. Um, they don't have bare metal yet, but I think it'll come early next year, um, and that'll that'll give us a really big boost on on
0: um, Opens speed. Up a of, hole. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so so um, in, in, increasing the and growing on on the cloud is another uh, a, a big um, uh, initiative for us next year. Um, So I I think, um, you know, between between all that, we probably will have our hands full, but there are also other um, uh, kind of R&D type initiatives that we're pretty excited about on um, malware research and uh, game streaming, Linux virtualization. Um, there's just a, there's a a
0: port of (laughs) Linux to M1. You guys are always dabbling in all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, Talk about, (laughs) can you talk a little bit about like some of the challenge with hiring? We we seem to be in security into this so-called cybersecurity skills shortage. The reality is that there's a lot of very, very wealthy Silicon Valley companies attracting the best of talent. And it becomes very, very difficult for startups to attract the kind of reverse engineering and the kinds of, I mean, you guys are doing some, I just based on my notes here. It's not, it's, it's specialized talent. Yeah. Is that a challenge for you finding the right set of people to work on this, or you have that kind of cool factor that attracts folks?
1: Oh my God. It's the biggest challenge for us. Absolutely. It's so hard to find. I, I will say that with, you know, even even other large companies that I have spoken with about specific types of engineers that, that, you know, we, we need a very, a very specialized set of skills to do the hardware modeling piece. And it's hard for everyone. And it's been hard for everyone for a long time. And this year it's gotten just exponentially harder. Um, we we're, we're pretty fortunate, I think, in that we've got a solid foundation of a team and we've been able to grow so far. We've been able to keep pace, but looking forward, I think that's, it's just, I, you know, it's such a, it's so hard. (laughs) um, and, And to your point, it's, We've we've seen the um, salary expectations jump dramatically, uh, even just this year. And I think, you know, to your point, that that has a lot to do with um, the impact of of big tech and yeah, and what they're hiring.
0: To- if everyone's think- hiring, the ones with the deepest pockets get the pick of the litter, and it, it, exactly. it's 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 causing a security tax on on, on the rest of computing and and through yeah. into smaller companies that I don't think we're. You know, it's starting to calculate yet. For
1: for us, the one of the funny things is we we do get a lot of interest from the security space, and you know, a lot of times that's not actually the the skills that we need. You know, we need. um,
0: You've got to write arm socs right. Like (laughs) at at that level, you're looking at. The, the talent pool there is already very small it's so
1: small yes yes um it, you know i think it's it's a it's one of those areas where it's almost easier to start with somebody who is incredibly eager and, and, uh, willing to learn and train them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's what everyone has to do at this stage. You're trying to take generalists and make them specialists, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, I think that's probably the better way to do things in the long term anyway. Um, if you can find somebody who is intelligent, a good problem solver, a great culture fit, and you can spend... It doesn't matter third. if they
0: study the classics at year, right? I mean, <laughs> as long as they can be. And it's a serious thing because, I mean, this is the way companies have to determine how they're hiring people, trying to find talent elsewhere and specialize that talent and, yep. you know, look for go-getters more. Than, than
1: yeah, exactly. You know. We've also, we've taken the approach of being... Fully remote. I mean, we do have an office here in Florida, and we do have a few folks who come to the office, but in general, everyone's remote, and that you know we've been makes... like
0: this prior to the pandemic.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been that. We've from the from the get go. Um, it has its challenges, but it does make it a little simpler for for the hiring pool. It, it gives us, I guess, a little bit more flexibility. Um, for
0: for but it's the- such a pain in the ass to figure out lo- local labor laws in Europe and Latin America, and I, it's like as being in the startup world is just so. I mean, I don't know where you guys find the the appetite for it. But, <laughs> like, you know, even being a remote company, you want to. You know, it sounds it sounds amazing. I will be a remote sure. company. We'll have access to talent everywhere. We don't have to worry about this. And then suddenly, okay, let's hire this guy. And then it becomes a mountain of paperwork. And now you you realize, yep. what what am I doing anyway? Yeah, a-
1: there there are, I think, in response to the pandemic and the increase in remote work, I've seen a number of companies start to pop up who help address some of those pain points. Um, so there, we, we we've actually started working with a a couple of companies, um, to hire in South America and in Australia, and they kind of abstract all of the, you know, labor law issues, payment issues, the complications, exactly. Um, so that, that is, I guess, a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, pro tip, a little life hack for, for the startups, uh, who, who want to go remote, but yeah, it's still, it's still a pain in the ass. It sucks.
0: I want to end on this. Um, We're we in a gold rush for cybersecurity, whether it's VCs funding everyone who can sneeze loud enough <laughs> or, or, you know, vendors enjoying amazing valuations, making a lot of money, uh, organizations needing to spend. Security is expensive. Security, good security is even more expensive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even in this gold rush, as a security, uh, as a CEO in, in, in security, with this new funding, there's a, there's an optimism. There's always this optimism that, okay, we're here the market is ripe. It's just everything. What worries you the most about where you are? I feel like as a CEO, we pay you to be paranoid. Like what makes you (laughs) paranoid in this industry? Are we in a bubble that's going to explode sometime soon? Like,
1: Oh man, where do I start? (laughs) Like you said, that's my, it's like my job, right? Um, Yeah. So I think, um, I, you know, I I don't envision the security. I I do think we're in a bit of a security bubble, but I don't necessarily anticipate it popping, you know, anytime soon. Because there's still such a strong need, and it's still on the top of mind for so many enterprises, especially around things like, um, you know, ransomware. Um, it, ransomware is so publicized, and it's become such a prevalent issue. It I think gives CISOs an opportunity to make their voices heard internally at organizations and to put security more front and center. So I th- I think that security in general, I, I don't envision that kind of gold rush stopping, you know, in, in the immediate future. But
0: But there's got to be some correction around some of these valuations and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars behind companies with zero customers and not even a product. Like there's just, it seems to be a there's an element of madness involved and there's a correction that's going to happen there. And as a CEO, you want to be able to navigate that and, and, and avoid certain things, right?
1: Exactly right. Yes. Bingo. Uh, And, and I think one of the things that we've tried to do to mitigate that is to, position ourselves, not just in the security space, but broadly across, and not just in mobile, but in IOT um, to kind of hedge some bets around that. Um, I think in the, you know, in, in the security side of things, there, there are, there are so few people doing things that are, truly innovative uh, I hesitate to say that but it, it feels well, like they're... not
0: only that but there's a lot of copycatting of <laughs> I copycatting. Feel like a lot of entrepreneurs tell me it's very difficult to be innovative because you know as soon as you put out a small tool that helps with something a company productizes it some everyone copies it <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and I imagine that's uh, that's probably a, a, an issue you guys have dealt with but it, it feels like being in the startup world and t- not many people are innovating and as soon as you innovate, there, there are ten VCs ch- chasing 20, 20 guys to go copy this.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yep. It's it. it yeah. It, it's a. Uh, it's like it, you know. You said it. Earlier. I'm a Kamajana.
0: Yeah, I'm a Kamajan <laughs> this. I've been around for too long and watched these cycles over and over and over to see where yeah. it's heading. I, I think it's. I think it's fascinating where you guys are, and I think this whole. Um, uh, the notion of modeling these IoT devices at scale and automating a lot of that is really fascinating use case beyond the security thing so it'll be interesting to watch watch the company grow.
1: Well, fingers crossed we're, <laughs> we're excited
0: <laughs> Thank you Amanda, appreciate the time um, anytime you, you guys have something to announce or you feel like you have something to say, you're always welcome to come back and chat Oh, well,
1: Thank you so much, it's been a really, pl- a really a pleasure chatting with you today
0: Thank you, best of luck with everything